0: Good morning, welcome to Harvest. Come on in and find your seat if you haven't already. Thank you so much for being here with us. To get us started this morning, I'm just going to read from from Isaiah chapter 42. It says, this is what, the, what God, the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretched them out, who spread out the earth, with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you, and I will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not yield my glory to another and my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them all give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior, stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the cry and will triumph over his enemies. Lord, we, we pray as we gather, you've commanded us to, to gather and to, to sing your praise um, you've declared that, that nothing else should have your glory or your place um, and we declare that together um, as, a, as your people gathering um, that, that nothing else has your place in our hearts and minds God, may that be true, would you help that to be true in us more and more each day um, as we prepare to hear again from your word to pray together um, and, and to worship you through all these things, we ask that you would be honored, that your name would be um, lifted high, that, that nothing, um, no, no instrument playing or, or singing or, or fancy preaching or anything would, would take the place of your glory that you received this morning, and that you would be honored and praised this morning. Amen. Just stand with me as we sing.
1: How much you deserve? No one we can pour. All I have is yours. Every single breath. I'll bring you more than a song. For a song in itself is not what. Vem Not what you have required. You search much deeper within. Through the way things and you're looking into. For my part of this I see nothing but the blood
0: several chapters we 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 see that pattern of the the israelite people having to watch blood being shed and and so as we as we think about that and we continue in hebrews and we we prepare to take communion here in a little bit uh, sometimes we we may even find it um, strange or a little bit awkward that we that we gather together a group of people in in this time in america and we sing about blood being shed um but but what a what a picture that is there's, there's generations children of many 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 generations who grew up um, in in the the temple or the, the tabernacle or I'm looking for that we we're, we're going to talk about watching actually watching blood being shed children families grew up they came and they watched as as blood had to be shed to cover over sins um, and what a privilege it is today to know that and to celebrate together that, that blood was shed once and for all in Jesus. Um, and so we're, we're so grateful for that. so as we sing that, as we, as we celebrate that, um, keep, keep that in mind, that we, we have that wonderful privilege that, that we can gather together and celebrate. And it, it brings so much hope. The last, the last verse that in, that, in that song reminded us of the hope that that, that that brings. This is all my hope and peace, nothing but the blood of Jesus. This is all my righteousness, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And this next song we're gonna sing there's another, an, an old hymn written by Fanny Crosby, um, and it's just full of imagery about the hope um, that the cross brings. Um, so, someday, um, all the, the things of this world will pass away, the, the world will be made new, and, and we'll have, um, and there's such a great hope because of what happened on the cross. And so it's not just the strange thing that we sing about, but it's truth, it's truth from God's word, and we celebrate that together this morning, and it, and it changes us. There's hope in, in the change that it brings. So as we sing, This next song, Near the Cross, just remember and think about that change and the hope that we have um, because of the blood of Jesus.
2: even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So in Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, he spends the first half of the letter, the first three, verses, the first three chapters in our Bibles, just really expounding on the love of Christ. The first half of the book closes with Paul penning a prayer, which says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So the blood of Jesus shed on the cross, that blood we just sang about a few moments ago, that shows us just how truly immense God's love is for us. So that's how Paul spends the first half of the letter. And then over the second half, he takes a seemingly sharp turn and starts to detail very practically what, what the Christian life is to look like in response to this love. So Ephesians 4.1 says... As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So the love that was poured out for us over 2,000 years ago warrants a response, and that response is a life defined by worship. So Paul then proceeds to talk about unity, what our lives should and shouldn't look like, characteristics we should and shouldn't have, how we engage with the world, how we relate to our spouses, and how we relate to children and parents, all practical examples of what the Christian's life should look like in light of God's love. So for us, undoubtedly, um, one of the ways we worship God is on Sundays when we come here and we sing. But I think what Paul's doing in, in this letter and reminding the church at Ephesus is that our lives should be defined by worship in everything we do. Um, Romans 12.1 reminds us that, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So that's why Paul gives these practical examples in Ephesians. He's showing us that God's love for us should impact every area of our lives. So husbands, in love, we lay down our lives for our wives, and that's worship. Wives, in love, submit to your husbands. That's worship. Um, children, in love, obey your parents. That's worship. In church, in love, maintain unity. that That's worship. Um, so I'm going to ask Nathan to go ahead and just sing the chorus from Heart of Worship a couple more times. And as he does that, I'd encourage you just to... Um, to close your eyes where you are, reflect on the truth that God's love for us warrants a response and that response is worship. Um, So maybe you want to spend some time just thanking him for for this love that was shown in Jesus. Maybe it's spending some time in confession and confessing areas of our lives where it's hard to show worship. Maybe it's a challenging relationship. Maybe it's with your job. um, Whatever that may be. But over these next few moments, um, I'd encourage you just to be still before God um, in light of what we've sang, in light of what scripture was just read and um, just respond in prayer uh, however the, the spirit prompts you.
1: I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself Is not what you have required You search much deeper within Through the way things appear You're looking into my heart
2: towards us as we learn more and more what it means to worship you and um, God I pray through the rest of our our service today that you would be glorified that that you'd receive the praise and honor and glory in Jesus name we pray amen you may be seated Um, so we can go have our our children's workers um, take their places at the doors so K through second Um, if you guys want to go ahead and get up and head towards that back door And parents, if you um, are new here, don't, don't have your children's tags yet and want them to go back, um, you can go out to the welcome desk and um, go ahead and check your kids in, and then they can be picked up after the service at rooms uh, 102 and 103. Um, and then grades three through five, you guys can go ahead and head over to this front door. Hope you guys enjoy your classes today, learn lots, have lots of fun. Thank you, children's workers, for all you do. Thank you guys for serving. Cool. Michelle, if you want to come up, um, Michelle's going to make an announcement, and then I'll have a few more announcements and um, pray for the service, and Jerry will come up.
3: Good morning. I'm Michelle Jones, and I'm part of the women's ministry team. And I would like to invite all the women of Harvest to our kickoff
4: luncheon, which is going to be on September 10th. It will be directly after the worship service. Um, The cost for the lunch is $5, but please don't let money be the reason you don't come. If that's a problem, you can see me or Heidi
3: record and um it's going to be our luncheon to kick off our year our fall bible studies and some activities that we're adding to the calendar so i invite you to come and enjoy some fellowship time with just the women of harvest get to know somebody new and hopefully sign up for a bible study or an activity
2: well thank you michelle um Two more announcements. One, just a reminder that one of our missionary families, the Franca's, will be here next Sunday, August 27th. Um, they'll be sharing both at the 930 prayer service and also at the, um, the main service here at 1030. Um, after the service, we're going to have uh, lunch and fellowship under the shelter, so please bring your own lunch if you plan to attend that, and the GO team will be providing drinks and dessert. So I'm um, looking forward to encouraging them, hearing about what the Lord's been doing through them. um I'm looking forward to that time together. Um, And then lastly, Ryan is looking for one more person to join the monthly rotation on the sound team. So um, if interested, please see him. Um, You'll get all the training you need. Um, We would love to have a few more people serve in that way. So please see Ryan after the service if you'd be interested in serving in that way. Um, So I'll pray for the service, and then um, Jerry will come up. Father God, thank you again for... um, just your grace and your love that you've shown towards us. Um, Thank you for allowing us just to gather freely here this morning to fellowship, to sing your praises, to hear your word proclaimed, and um, as Jerry comes up, God, I pray that you would speak through him, that, um, you know, he would just be a willing servant, that he would be your mouthpiece, and that um, each of us here, as we hear the sermon, that it won't... Go in one ear and out the other, but it would take root in our hearts. And that as um, we go into our weeks and our communities, God, that um, we just look for ways that we can apply and and show Your love to the world. So Your name, I pray. Amen. Uh,
3: good morning. Uh, if you want to follow along uh, with an outline, uh, our worship folders are on the back table. In case you did not get one on the way in, this would be a good chance to get it. And just a little family news here before we go into the message. I see Chad and Casey Mears are with us here. This is their second time back, uh, the time before I was going to tell everybody they were here. And the baby said, nope, I've got my own schedule, but uh, little Heidi and just great to see you guys. Let's welcome Chad and Casey back as part of the Harvest family. So I am going to put a word on the screen. I'll put that word on the screen. I want you just to turn, I want you to think First. What's the first thought that comes to your mind? What's the first impression that comes to your mind when you see this word? And then I want you to turn to two or three people around you and, and share uh, what that is. Okay, so here's the word. Go ahead and turn to a couple people around you. So, we'd w- love to hear just some brief, uh, brief expressions. What, what were some of the things that you came up with? And just raise your hand and, and say them loudly because we've got people in different. Tent. Tent, okay. <laughs> Sacrificial. Sacrificial. Moses. Moses. What other words, thoughts did you come up with the first... Temporary,
2: place to meet God.
3: Place to meet God. You guys haven't been looking at my notes uh, this morning ahead of time, have you? So, tabernacle is a word that we don't often use, right? But it's very, very important for what we're doing here in the Book of Hebrews. We're teaching through that at Harvest, um, and it, when you hear this, if you just say it on the streets or just say it, sometimes people have different things. You might think about the Mormon tabernacle. I I did when I hear the word tabernacle. Um, In evangelical circles, a church that you might think about is the Brooklyn Tabernacle, right, in New York. There's a church that is very, very dear to my heart that I hear the word tabernacle, and I can't help but think of it, it is the church that my, God used my grandfather to start 92 years ago. I know it's 92. I looked on their website this week, and in September, they're celebrating the 92nd anniversary. It's the Baptist called the Baptist Tabernacle in Danville, Virginia. But you are already ahead of me somewhat, at least in the answers. As we say the word tabernacle today, I want you to think about this tabernacle that's on the screen. I want you to think about the tabernacle that existed in the Old Testament because it, understanding basically what it was is critical for understanding Hebrews, a lot of Hebrews, especially Hebrews chapter 9, which is where we're coming. What was the tabernacle? The tabernacle was a tent. It was a tent that served as a portable and temporary sanctuary for the people of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, during the period in which they were wandering around in the wilderness. So when they went from place to place, they would, they would move this tabernacle with them. And then as this picture gives just a general idea, a high-level idea, the 12 tw- tribes of Israel would camp out uh, around. And it wasn't like everybody would just look for the best spot. There was, it was prescribed which tribe would be situated at each part outside the tabernacle. And then, of course... When they got in the promised land, and many years later, this was replaced by a permanent structure of worship that King Solomon built, the temple that he built in Jerusalem. The key to the purpose of the tabernacle, and I think somebody mentioned this in the discussion time, is found in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, when God was explaining what it was all about. He was giving his instructions to to Moses, and he said, then have them build a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. That was the purpose of the tabernacle. It was a place for God to dwell with his people. That background is, as I mentioned, very important as we come to Hebrews chapter 9. So if you have a Bible or a device that you can look up Hebrews chapter 9 on, I invite your attention there. And as you're getting there, let me set the stage uh, for the context of Hebrews chapter 9. After showing that our eternal high priest Jesus has a better covenant in chapter 8, which we covered last week, Now, the author of Hebrews shows that he also has a better tabernacle and a better sacrifice. These are truths that weren't just good for the people at the time this was written in the first century. These are truths that impact us today, the tabernacle. Well, here's an overview. This section here, chapter 9 is part of a longer section of Hebrew, the longest section of Hebrews that runs from about chapter 5 to about chapter 10, uh, talking about Jesus as our great high priest. And just just a quick overview to let you know where we're honing in today. Uh, In these immediate chapters, Jesus has a better covenant, chapter 8. Chapter 9, the first 12 verses, he has a better tabernacle. Beginning in verse 13 and going all the way uh, to 28, he has a better sacrifice. But now Hebrews will give us two more elaborations on this sacrifice. The result of it is what the Bible calls redemption. I'll explain that along the way. And the nature of it is it is eternal. And that gets into chapter 10. So I'm going to highlight there in that yellow box. This is the material that we're gonna cover today as long as you can listen fast enough. If you don't listen fast enough, we'll cover some of that next week because you can see, see the bottom blue thing, bottom blue line that's uh, leading into the next section. It's uh, the first part of redemption. It's part of this better sacrifice. Well, next week as we wrap up this whole big section, We're going to get into that, into chapter 10. So if we don't finish everything in chapter 9, it's okay, and we'll pick it up next Sunday. So let's basically arrange our thoughts today around a better tabernacle and a better sacrifice. What, What do we mean about this better tabernacle? Verses 1 through 12 have one major point. And that is, as the author is making this argument about Jesus and who he is, there are many people and many religious figures that he's greater than and better than and superior to. And the people getting this letter are tempted. They come out of that Jewish background, and they're tempted to turn their—they've professed that they believe in Jesus, but they're tempted to turn and go back to these other things— And so that's why he keeps arguing, no, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And because he has a better place of ministry, because he has a better tabernacle, he is a superior person. Now, in the Old Testament, God was very explicit with Moses about what the tabernacle was to look like, about how it was to be structured, how to set it up, what kind of furniture would be there and where that furniture would be placed. And he set it up. Here's, again, just another very high-level view. Um, if I check this ahead of time. If you have 20-20 vision, you can read every word on that screen. Now, the idea is not to read the words, but just to see how it was laid out. And, and that's just kind of a snapshot. I, I'm going to give you a closer look, so uh, don't, don't sweat about that. Let's look at the text, beginning in Hebrews 9, verse 1, and we get the description of this tabernacle. Now, the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called... The holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Remember when Moses went up on the mountain and God wrote the Ten Commandments, these these stone tablets were there. Verse 5 Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. We cannot discuss these things in detail now. And so now what follows in the passage is a description of the Day of Atonement. The Jewish high priest, would enter the most holy place, well, first the holy place, covering uh, uh, or carrying the blood of a spotless animal that had been slain on the altar of sacrifice. Verse 6, when everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Think about that. Once a year. Once a year, one man, one high priest, would go into that most holy place and offer that sacrifice. There were sacrifices that happened daily by the regular priest, but on the Day of Atonement, that once-a-year experience, one man went in behind that curtain, and so it wasn't like people could see it. I thought about doing something today. I I didn't do it. I, I almost thought about starting the worship service and setting something up in the middle and asking all of you guys to go out in the hallway and have you peer in, try to peer in through those little glass windows to, set, to help us understand what it would be like. Like It wouldn't be like you could be at the worship service. <laughs> you couldn't say, yeah, I'd love to go in there and, and watch the, whole, the high priest work. Now, this was not for the masses to come. But God was teaching something. God had a plan. And people were separated from God because God's holy. And and yet God wanted them to be close to him. So he, he set something up. This drawing here shows the difference between the holy place and the most holy place. So out here... In the outer court, you had the bronze altar, the bronze laver. And then he, the, this is the holy place where the table of showbread was, which had bread that was changed every Sabbath. Uh, and then the old bread would be eaten. Uh, you had the lampstand uh, and the altar of incense. And then this room, see that red curtain, that divider. This is the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was that was only entered once a year. I think, I think maybe um, a short video might help you even get a bigger picture. Remember, this is just a representation, but it'll give you a, a general idea. So let's, let's take a look at this. This is entering now into the holy place. behind that this next curtain is the most holy place the once a year place Now, why all of this? Why this elaborate setup? Remember, it's a teaching tool. We can learn a lot from this. We can learn that God wanted to be with his people. He wanted to dwell with them, right? But sin separated. And, and so he had some very pres- a very prescribed way for them to enter. And yet, verse 8 gives us the answer why. The Holy Spirit was showing by this, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. Think about that. the way into the most holy place, the way into God's immediate presence had not been disclosed yet. The Holy Spirit was teaching Israel that full, unlimited access to God was not yet open to Israel. They did not have it. Last week, our associate pastor, Pastor Corey, did a nice job in going through Hebrews chapter 8 and explaining the difference between the old covenant that they lived under and what now Christians live under, the new covenant. The sacrifices that happened under the old covenant predicted, as it were, the perfect sacrifice that would come as a part of the new covenant. But it was not... Realized yet as long as people relied on the old way of access to God. When as I grew up in church and I learned about these things, and I learned about the temple, and I learned about the sacrifices, I think I assumed that okay, there that was for them, and their sins were forgiven, and they were fine. And now it's different because we live in a different era and a different generation. But the truth was, they were doing what God had asked them to do, but they weren't fine. They're, well, the passage is going to tell us. Let's keep moving. Verse 9. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings, external regulations applying, read those last few words with me out loud, if you will, until the time of the new order. So here's the point. The prescribed ceremonies that were external, all these things were external that that were happening there in the, in the tabernacle. They fell short of the internal access to God that was foreshadowed in the new covenant. It was good that they had that. There was external cleansing, there was temporary cleansing, there was a covering for their sin, but their consciences weren't clean. And it didn't give them full, unlimited, immediate access to God. It was all of these things were designed, unlike what I thought growing up, to almost show them how what they didn't have yet. That there was something else, that there was another sacrifice. There was something more that they needed. Ray Steadman calls the tabernacle worship a kind of religious play to teach them about continued access to God. He says, since they could find no heart rest in the tabernacle ritual, they were encouraged to look beyond the outward drama to what was important. But when Christ died and the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom, God was saying, the time has come. The way of access is fully open. The need for pictures is over. That's what verse 11 points us towards. But when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Now, redemption, in short, is buying back. Redemption is a concept in which someone would go and free someone who was a captive, a slave, uh, being held, and not able to free themselves, not, and needing liberation, and they would say, I want to redeem that person, and they would pay the sufficient price to redeem that person. This passage says what Jesus did obtained eternal redemption. Now, the Jewish people all along the way would have been familiar with redemption of, of captives, they would have been familiar with annual redemption once a year. Yeah, that day of atonement, it's going to happen once. But then it had to happen the next year, and it had to happen the next year, and the year after, and the year after. But in contrast to that, what Jesus did as a priest secured eternal redemption. And that bleeds right into the second part. So we, we had a, he had a better tabernacle. He also has a better sacrifice. In this section from 9.13 to 10.18, we'll only cover a portion of it this morning, there are 33 references to blood, offering, sacrifice, that that concept. And we we get a contrast right away between Judaism's one accomplishment and Jesus' four accomplishment. So verse 13 tells us the one thing that that Judaism did accomplish in this worship, and it was external cleansing. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. Now, this probably refers to Numbers 19, which teaches that if someone were to come into contact with a dead carcass of an animal, they would be ceremonially unclean, They would be defiled, and they would need an animal sacrifice to allow them to go to the tabernacle. And it was able to do that. Verse 13, it it was able to give external cleansing. But let's think today... About Christ's four accomplishments. Let's think about what the four things this passage mentions that he accomplished. And the first one is, it doesn't just clean us externally, it cleanses our conscience. Verse 14, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Jesus offered himself. It was a voluntary offering. I don't think any of those animals, those thousands and thousands and thousands of animals that were sacrificed through the, I don't think any of them raised their hand and said, can I, can I do that? It was involuntary. But the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus offered himself. It was was voluntary. And what's the result? A cleansed conscience that will allow us to serve God. Our consciences are polluted by sin. We can can put on a good face for others. We can try to act like we're, we're okay. We're relatively okay. But the human heart, Knows that we have sinned. Our consciences speak against us. Former uh, Maryland poet, uh, laureate Lucille Clinton, or Clifton, wrote a poem in which she's trying to have, she pictures trying to have her eyes closed, ignoring the truth. But then she finishes the poem with a voice telling her, you might as well answer the door, my child. The truth is furiously knocking. Mark Twain said that man is the only animal that blushes and the only animal that needs to. We have this, we have this conscience. John Stott adds, we're ashamed, are we not, of things we've done in the past. Nobody is free who is unforgiving. Instead of being able to look God in the face or to look one another in the face, we want to run away and hide when our conscience troubles us. Do you know what I'm talking about? A struggle with your conscience. Verse 15 For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. That those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Jesus' death is that which activates the new covenant. Another way to translate the word covenant is a will and a will is put into effect when the person, it's like their last will and Testament. When that person passes away, when they die, it's put into effect. And that's what happened with Jesus. Verse 16, in the case of a will, it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died. It never takes effect while the one who made it is living. That's the first reason why or the first accomplishment that Jesus' sacrifice made. The second one, it's already bleeding into it here, but it's even more explicit in verses 18 to 22 is that he's the mediator of a new covenant. This is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with scarlet uh, water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, This is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in the ceremonies. In fact, The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. This reminds me um, of the verse that uh, Will read to us earlier uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Number three. Jesus' sacrifice cleanses the heavenly sanctuary and puts Jesus in heaven as our high priest. And remember, the earthly tabernacle, the one we saw in the video, that was, that was earthly and that was a picture of uh, heavenly realities. Verse 23, it was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly thing to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. So verse twenty four, the four that starts that verse tells us why heaven needs needed to be cleansed. And that, that seems to be a bit unusual. Right, We think of heaven as being a perfect place. Why did it need to be cleansed? Well, maybe it was because that was, it was a replica of the earthly uh, sanctuary that needed it. Maybe it was because Satan appeared in heaven to accuse humans before God. Definitely, it was necessary because Christ is in heaven interceding for our sins. And verse 24 makes it clear that he has now passed into heaven and he is making an appearance as our high priest. So let me ask you two questions. See if you can answer these two questions. Let's go back to the earthly tabernacle. What gained access... To the holy of holies, the most holy place for the priest. What did the priest have to have with him to get into that most holy place once a year? Blood. It was the blood of an animal, right. Question number two, what gains access for Jesus into heaven as our high priest? Blood. Again, his blood. He can appear, this, this kind of blows my mind. Jesus, of course, can appear in heaven as the Son of God without dying, hypothetically, but he can't appear in heaven as our high priest without blood, without going through his sacrifice. That's what the passage says. Well, there's one more thing it accomplishes. And that is it removes our sins. Verse 25. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. See how that language just builds and builds and builds. He appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages. Not just to cover sin. Not just to cover people's external wrongs for a temporary time, but to do away with sin. I have great news for you today. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you are saved by the blood of Christ, your sin is done away with. Some of you might argue with me, say, oh, you don't know what I did this week. Your sin... Is done away with by the blood of Christ. In a few minutes, we're going to remember that by taking communion, and that's what we're going to remember. We're going to remember that though we are guilty people, though we are broken people, though we do sin, it's all been done away with. There's been one sacrifice that was sufficient, that was necessary, and it forgives sins. It doesn't just cover sin an author, Rebecca Pippert was auditing a class at Harvard University, a grad, graduate level class on systems of counseling. And at one point, the professor presented a case study in which a man had become very angry at his, um, at his mother. And so the, in, the, in the case study, the professor was, was using some therapeutic methods to help the man understand himself in this moment. Pippert raised her hand and said, How would you respond how would he have responded if the counselor would have talked to him about forgiving his mother? See the counselor was focusing on not forgiveness. The counselor was focusing on him getting in touch with himself, and she just asked the simple question, well, what if, if it was about forgiveness? And, and the professor replied, well, forgiveness implies moral responsibility and many other things that scientific psychology can't speak to. And of course, several students in the class were dismayed by this. And so when the professor saw that, he tried to Interjects some humor and he and he said, if you guys are looking for a changed heart, I think you're looking in the wrong department. And Pippert writes, she said, The truth is we are looking for a changed heart. We are looking for a changed heart. Secular reason all by itself cannot give us a basis for the deep and powerful message of forgiveness and redemption that comes in the cross. But Jesus can and has done that. Verse 27, just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So there's an analogy. We as humans, uh, we make two appearances. We appear on earth and then we appear before God in judgment. Christ Jesus makes two appearances. His first appearance was on earth to, to bring the sacrifice and to be the sacrifice, but his second appearance He's going to come to bring salvation for those who are waiting for him. Actually, there are three appearances of Christ in in Hebrews 9. There's his first appearance on earth. uh, And then in verse 24, there's his appearance in heaven as our intercessor. And then there's going to be the third appearance, which is when he, what we call the second coming. So here's how I sum this up today. I know it's a lot of material. Thank you for your patience today. This is... This is a lot of material. I told my wife, and of course I'm the one who schedules the sermons and how much is going to be. in I said, I got to talk to the person who scheduled all this whole chapter. I got to really talk to him and see what he was thinking when he scheduled this. I know it's a lot, but it's going to help us do all of Hebrews and finish before Christmas. And it's also helps us to, to think in the larger, uh, groups of texts, although it's a challenge. Here's the summary. Jesus' sacrifice of himself provided cleansing, forgiveness, and an intercessor. Cleansing, forgiveness, and an intercessor. Let me suggest three ways that you can put this into practice today. The first way is don't try to secure forgiveness of sin on your own, but believe. All this work that Jesus did would be in vain in terms of its application to you. If you think, you know, yeah, maybe I should be a, a good person. Maybe I should be a better person. Maybe I should go through some religious rituals. Maybe I should be confirmed or be baptized or join a church or turn over a new leaf No, he made the sacrifice that was sufficient. And it secured eternal redemption. And it's up to us to say, yes, Jesus, I believe in you. So I hope that you have believed and do believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. The second urging is, if you're a Christian today, don't live like an Old Testament believer but live like a New Testament believer. The Old Testament is God's word, and it still is God's word, but it's not God's word in terms of its application the same way today to us today as it was to those who lived under that old covenant, in that old covenant. None of us try to offer animal sacrifices, and I'm glad for that. And yet some people think, oh, well, maybe I need to keep the Ten Commandments. Maybe Christ will give me the power to keep the Ten Commandments. That's the wrong way to think about it. It's a new covenant. Now, every one of the commandments except one is reiterated or repeated or applied in some way. The only one that is not is the Sabbath command. So, we're not talking about being immoral, but we're talking about the law of Christ. We love the Old Testament. We're thankful for the Old Testament. But we have to put the covenant side by side and say, what was God doing then and what is God doing now? now let me put a couple of houses on the screen for you. One of them is in Blowing Rock. And one of them is in Charlotte. And I have been inside both of them. Uh, I've been inside one of them, the one in Charlotte, for about 18 years. This summer, um, we were thankful to have one of our sons and his family here for a couple of weeks uh, from out of town. And, and we spent time together. The kids were here at Vacation Bible School. And, uh, but Justin was taking classes Um, and there was so much going on. We didn't have time to like go anywhere, like to the beach or anything, even for two or three days, but we worked it out one Friday night and Saturday because they have younger children. We went up into the mountains of North Carolina. We went to, uh, Linville Caverns and Linville Falls on Friday night. We went to Tweetsie Railroad on Saturday and we stayed in that house. We stayed in that house for 24 hours. Well, we weren't in it for 24 hours. We paid for 24 hours, but we were in it for about 24 hours, and it had some breathtaking views. It was, it was great, and here's all of us gathered around one, that Saturday morning, one morning, the only morning at the breakfast table. There are a lot of cool things about that house. I mean, it wasn't A mansion or anything but the coolest part of the house what was the basement down there in the basement they had tons of games I mean this is just a few of them like all the old some of the old classic games like Mrs. Pac-Man you know and here my grandchildren who you know are five six eight years old uh They were loving them, these old classic. We we had a lot of fun. We were in that house just a short time. But I want to compare the two houses. So the house on your right is my house. The house on the left was a vacation house, and I have limited access to that house. Think about it. What if I said, man, you know, I really enjoyed being at that house. Why don't we just ride back up there and, and just go back in again? And I just showed up at the door. Do you think my, the code they gave me would work this time? No. It, the, the price was paid, and I had, quote, full access for a limited time. It was for 20. Once checkout time game came, they don't know me or care about me except if I give them a good review. On the other hand, the price has been paid on this house that I, I can go in and out anytime I want. It's not just a 24-hour deal. It's anytime I want to go in and out, I, can, I have full access. This is the permanent house. Now, it doesn't have Mrs. Pac-Man, although after that vacation, it might Eventually. Hopefully that's just a little picture as we're thinking about dwelling places like the Old Testament tabernacle and its sacrifices as opposed to the better tabernacle which is, comes to us through Christ's death on the cross that sacrifice this one, the Old Testament had limited access but Christ. Has full access. And that leads us to the final way to put this into practice, and that is to remember the sacrifice of Christ. Remember the sacrifice of Christ. I, I confess it's very easy to start taking Christ for granted and his death for granted. Some of you have heard this all of your life or much of your life. Some of you attend church regularly and you hear about Christ and you hear about his death. And we need all through our life, all through our weeks, to remember the sacrifice of Christ. And that's why what we're about to do is so valuable this morning. We're going to remember the sacrifice of Christ together. We're, we're going to take bread that stands for his body as he asks. And we're going to drink cups that stand for his blood. And we are going to remember the sacrifice of Christ. What I want us to do to help you prepare is I'm going to ask you to just, first of all, bow your heads and close your eyes. And just ask God to prepare your heart and search your heart. Is there anything in my heart that needs confession of sin, Lord. So I'll give you a moment alone first. pray together to give him thanks for what is happening here and I'll give you a minute to turn to one or two people around you if you're comfortable praying out loud with them it'd be great for some to just pray out loud if you you just want to pray silently with each other that's fine too but give you a chance to just uh, give thanks uh, to the Lord for what he did for us uh, just for a minute or two here said in 1 Corinthians 11, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. serving if you'll come we're going we're to pass these out to you and if you know the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior if you want to remember him and worship him take one of these and we'll hold them and then we'll all take them together as we remember the Lord you for sending your son Jesus. Jesus, as we take this bread, we remember the incredible cost it was to you, and we worship you. Let's worship him together. in the same way after the supper he he took the cup saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood whenever you drink it do this in remembrance of me hopefully this means a little bit more to us as we continue to work through Hebrews this new covenant required blood the covenant required blood and Jesus said here it is now unfortunately there are many churches and large denominations not that many but large that would teach a false view about what happens at communion that This becomes the body of Christ and becomes the blood of Christ. And the sacrifice keeps happening over and over and over again. But Hebrews makes it clear. The sacrifice is done. And we gather, we celebrate, we remember this. We remember that one sacrifice and the Savior who made it. So let's do that now. It's interesting that Paul says whenever you do this you remember the Lord's death until he comes our Hebrews passage talks about Christ has appeared once to take care of sins but he is going to appear again to bring salvation so we look back at what he did we look forward to his coming let's remember him Let us stand together, those cups, they're little spots in the back of the chairs in front of you that you can put in or you can drop them off on the way out. Also, um, Stan, can you hand me that little booklet as we continue going through Hebrews? Um, there's a guide. Um, and this one is September and October. It's the new one. They're out in the lobby. So if you haven't had a chance to grab one of these, I encourage you to grab that on your way out. So let's, let's pray. Let me give you the benediction. Um, having focused so much on Christ and his sacrifice, I pray today that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit will be with you all. Amen.